0: I'm Luke Simmons. And I am Seth Trout.
1: And we are here to...
0: Critique the hell out of culture.
1: Right, well welcome back to the King and Culture podcast, Seth. It's good to be together, buddy. This is our first recording since the live show.
0: It is our first recording since the last recording, so it is a real <laughs> pleasure to be here with you without a bunch of people watching us do this.
1: Yeah, that was it was a really interesting experience. For your
0: eyes only, Luke Simmons, for your eyes
1: only. <laughs> people have asked how did it go and it's like, oh, I don't know. I mean, when your expectations are low, uh, anything can exceed them. But it, I thought it was really fun. I mean, I don't I don't know exactly. There were probably 50, 60 people there or so. Uh, the production crew at Redemption Gateway did an unbelievable job setting everything up. The band, you know, Mike Griffith the Trio played, and they sounded incredible, phenomenal.
0: Yeah, there's between and, fifty uh, and a thousand people there, <laughs> so somewhere range, between there, somewhere between fifty and a thousand. Yeah, so but yeah, it was it
1: was kind of kind of neat, kind of weird. You know, we anyway. So hopefully, uh, if you care about that, you, I mean, you have had a chance, or you could go now and listen to that episode. We talked about self love. And then took some questions. Anyway, it was kind of a fun thing. Do you think we'll do that again? I think we will.
0: I, partly, I just loved hearing the Mike Griffith Trio play. And the, the <laughs> intro song. Any,
1: any chance to get them to play?
0: Yeah, the intro song that they played is the song called Be Careful with a Fool. Uh, and that's the intro music that we play uh, on the podcast. And yeah. so we got to get they the played the full they, song. Yeah, they played the whole thing. The full song, which is not an easy song. Oh. Uh, the Mike Griffith Trio is pretty legit. And he, he told me his fingers are sore learning that song which is saying a lot that's uh you know because he's very proficient and sure as he had to work for it so i'm grateful for mike for that
1: well it was fun to hear the song in its entirety and hear more of the lyrics and actually see you know these kind of resonate with some of the themes on this on this podcast
0: oh yeah when i first picked that song i remember driving like i was driving from somewhere listening like just a electric blues playlist and that song came on it's all about be careful with the fool because one day he might get smart. And that's the, the theme of the huh. song. I didn't know you picked it. Yeah. I remember I sent it oh, to wow. you I like, I, this I is thought awesome. our original producer picked it. So, no. That's great. Wow. I would never let someone pick something. No, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. no, it was so it was fun because it was so it was kind of like my own personal secret with myself that these lyrics actually really apply. But yeah. It was well Now really the cool. secret's out. Yeah. it's a cool guitar song, though. Yeah. It was very cool. So, what are we talking about today? Today we're talking about. Unhappy apes. Okay.
1: Unhappy Interest, apes. Un, interested yet? Um, I don't know. I I guess I didn't necessarily think apes were would be particularly happy.
0: Yeah. The other thing we're talking about is midlife crises. Okay. So slightly more relevant to those I'm, of us in the room who are in the midlife. <laughs> yeah.
1: I'm with you. I'm with you. Okay. Unhappy apes. Are you calling me an unhappy midlife ape? Is that what you're saying? I'm saying if the shoe
0: fits. I can't. Get your uh, We're also going to talk about mental health and how I think that's kind of a silly term, but I understand what people are saying, but I'm going to say mm. I think it's a silly term.
1: Wow. Okay. And uh, maybe at some point we'll figure out how all this fits together. So We
0: will weave quite the mangled web and we'll, we'll get back here. Okay.
1: So unhappy apes. What, what, is it, what are you talking about?
0: So here's the first thing I'm thinking about is our current cultural moment is obsessed with mental health. And when they say mental health, what they really mean is mental unhealth.
1: If someone says, I
0: have mental health, what they're telling you is, I have mental unhealth,
1: uh, Mm. which is kind of an interesting term. Yeah, I'm dealing with mental health is usually saying I'm struggling to have mental health.
0: Yeah, I'm having issues not being mentally healthy, which is kind of funny. Like if raising mental health, caring about mental health uh, is kind of a backwards way. I had a buddy one time tell me, hey, I'm going to the march for sex trafficking. (laughs) And I said, whoa, hey, hold up, hold up. I think you mean the march against sex trafficking. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) It's not the sex trafficking march. That would be, uh, not a lot of people would get in line for that publicly at least. Sure. Uh, And so he's like, oh, yeah, I'm marching against sex
1: trafficking. So that's great. So you're you're pointing out here not that it's a problem necessarily that people struggle with mental health issues, but that the way it's described is kind of odd. Yeah, we talk that, about... That the challenges are described positively.
0: Yeah, and how even the term, like if I say like I have mental health, uh, what we're saying is uh, I tend to have a, I need to say psychiatrist or a therapist or someone's working, helping me work through my lack of mental health or my yeah. insufficient mental health or my uh, incapacity to function with mental health. And there's uh, this article in New York Times... That I, written by a psychiatrist named Hugh Green, H-U-W. Interesting spelling, Hugh, Dr. Hugh Green. But he's talking about how we're so mentally health-obsessed in this current moment that um, even we pathologize normal emotional difficulties. Hmm. So um, my grandma dies, I'm deeply sad for days. Uh, my, my cat dies, I'm deeply sad for a couple of days. Um, I get fired from my job. I'm deeply sad. And people call that depression or they'll call that mm. uh, uh, I think he's struggling with his mental health. Can you check on them? And so things that are n- normally functions of being connected to the reality of the world, which is painful and difficult. Sure. Uh, tears weeping are pathologized. And so someone's nervous. We're anxious about a test next week. And it's I have anxiety mm. uh, as though it's like some condition um, that is growing in you. And so we, uh, so to pathologize normal human function is, I think uh, one of the problems. And so
1: when it seems like one of the, one of the things that that does, that's not good is that it actually ends up creating a dynamic where people who really actually have depression and really have significant ongoing chronic anxiety, it minimizes that actually in a way by making everything those things.
0: Yeah. There's ordered anxiety. There's ordered sadness, there's ordered nervousness, and there's disordered anxiety, disordered sadness, disordered nervousness. And when my uh, emotions aren't connected to reality or connected to the function of things, like my nervous system's out of whack or my hormones are out of whack or um, past traumas manifesting or being triggered and things that aren't really happening, um, that would be disordered forms of
1: those emotional states. So so I kind of want to just ask this on the front end. Like if somebody is listening to this and – they regularly see a psychiatrist and they take medication related to mental health challenges. And, you know, they would be, you know, somebody really in an ongoing way navigating these issues. Um, how, how do and don't you want them to hear this conversation?
0: Yeah, I want you to hear if you're unable to function because your emotional states are chronically inhibiting your ability to do what God's called you to do or live as God's called you to live then by all means, seek out a mental health professional uh, or a mental unhealth professional, as talking about it, yeah. and, and get assistance. But I think the goal of life should not be to feel nothing or to only have highs. Yeah. That if you're living in God's world, which is creation, therefore it's beautiful, and it's fallen, therefore it's broken, mm-hmm. you're going to have highs and lows, and you got to embrace that. And one of the seasons of life, this will get us into the unhappy midlife apes thing, is, <laughs> is the, the, the concept of midlife crisis. And the depth of people in their forties and fifties, I actually probably say like 35 to 55. so like that 20 year range uh, blowing up their life. It's like the season when people tend to have the most affairs tend to develop or like manifest the most addictions or when they tend to uh, hit the eject button from their callings, uh, switch careers, uh, haphazardly uh, developing gambling issues. And so, just a general season of unhealth. And sure. I mean, unhealth is a uh, strong term. What I'm arguing is that it's not unhealthy. I'm going to call it, it's unhappy, but it's kind of to some degree, part of like the normal human process. Okay. Hmm. So calling something a crisis that's normal, I feel like is shaming, right? I want to call puberty a crisis. I would call it a process that you have to go through. Yeah. It's part of development. Same with like the midlife. It's not a crisis. It's a process that it's, there are things that your 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 body is changing, your mind is changing. There's a readaptation, a re a rediscovery of how to be in the world. And I think just like puberty is ultimately a blessing because it matures you so also the midlife process is part of that as well. So there's two angles I've been thinking about related to this. Um, one comes from a guy named Bob Beal. Um, mm-hmm. he wrote this book called Decade by Decade. That was pretty a uh, significant influencer and I think you and I both, in yeah. the way that he frames some of this, stuff. Yeah, he
1: came a few years ago and spoke to a number of our pastors. If yeah. anybody looks him up, it's Bob with three B's, B-O-B-B, which he did just to make himself stand out a little bit, which is sort of yeah, funny. But yeah, his decade-by-decade decade thing was, was really helpful.
0: When he's kind of a behind-the-scenes big deal. Like, he was one of R.C. Sproul's mentors. And so, yep. uh, for those of you who know who that is, then you care about that. And if you don't know who that is, then you don't. So there's that he talked about the, the various like trials or questions that mark each decade of life. It's pretty significant. The first decade uh, from zero to nine has to do with like safety or security. Um, am I safe in this world? Am I loved in this world? And so much like early childhood trauma. I mean, that's literally, that's early childhood. And so our yep. modes of attaching, connecting. So each one of these decades is marked by letter S. Yep. And so safety, security um the teens he talked about self self obsession um I and, and self
1: differentiation
0: yeah uh finding out who you are apart from other people yep. there's also a question that decade that he mentioned but it's not the main word he used which had to do with um attractiveness sex like mm. will people want like will people want me mm. like am i am i desired yeah. which also has to do with self differentiation so so you have uh, safety security you have self sex Then you have um, the twenties, which are all about survival. Like, can I make it on my own, apart from my parents? Yeah, do I have what it takes? Big yeah. question. And these are obviously generalities. Some sure. people have to ask the question of survival at age thirteen because terrible things happen, etc. Um, and a lot of like the idea of like someone who's like failing to launch or failure to launch is someone who never really answers the question of survival, um, yeah. or they answer the question with no, and so they stay home and they don't, right. They don't launch. Thirties is about success. You kind of establish that you can make it, but can you make it substantially? Uh, and he called it like climbing this the greased fire pole, like trying to <laughs> the slippery yeah. success ladder. And you go, can I, can I thrive beyond uh, just ordinary functioning? But can I be successful? And even questions of like uh, that's a, at that point in your thirties, it's an assumed definition of success. Uh, there's you don't really have the capacity yet to really wrestle with that. Then your 40s, which is, I think, the in- interesting part here, is he
1: talked about... Yeah, because there you're starting to creep into midlife.
0: Yeah, yeah. Late 30s, early 40s is, would be the midlife. He talked about what he called uh, the decade of suffering or the decade of significance, which is interesting because significance, really positive word, suffering, obviously a negative word. Yeah. And he said suffering has a lot to do with the fact that you're parenting teenagers, uh, and so you're... Uh, you can kind of live in denial about the reality of aging in your thirties. But once you kind of hit forties, there's like a, a bit of a slowing down thing. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of professional athletes who are in their thirties. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's like Tom Brady in his forties at the end. Like, <laughs> sure. You know, so yeah. And th- when you're 37, even like, like my age, 31, soon to be 32, maybe 32. And this comes out, there's like a, uh, uh, you can still kind of cling to the, good old day like has been like uh yep you can still kind of like i can jump as high as i could in high school still but that won't be there
1: yeah well one of the things i remember from him talking about that decade and i actually tell molly this um frequently is he says you know when you're in your 40s you you just wonder is it always going to be this hard you know and it feels especially he says to women like this is like just how life is always going to be and it's exhausting and it's like, no, it isn't going to always be this hard. Um, in some ways, in other ways, it will be harder. Um, but that, yeah, you're you're really right in the thick of so many things. You know, that's sort of the age where you start to see people a little bit ahead of you, and they have all this money, and you feel like I should have money now, but you you don't really yet still. And you know, you're yeah, you're just being pulled in all those directions. it it, it is a it's a challenging decade.
0: Yeah, and even Eugene Peterson in his book, Like, Do Your Youth, which I reference a lot, he talks about how uh, one of the things when it comes to dealing with adolescence that's important is believing that God designed it for people in their 40s. Yeah. So, like, when you're when you're in your 40s, parenting someone who's a teenager uh, and their even emotional process and their kind of unruliness or unpredictability is part of what God designed into that as a gift to aid the sanctification process of people in their forties. <laughs> sure. And so there's even a question of God's goodness in that. And you're like, not only is it difficult, but it's difficult on purpose because God made it that way. And so that, yeah, that midlife thing, that question of suffering, significance, and part of the suffering is psychological because maybe you've achieved a measure of success. Uh, you have made it to the top of your organization. You have tasted the corner office, so to speak. Mm-hmm. you, have been you know you've you're 10 years into your mortgage and you've been doing 15% in your retirement and you've kind of done the thing you're supposed to do to be yeah. quote successful and it's not scratching the itch
1: sure and it's disappointing yeah and you're you're starting to wonder does does any of this matter and yeah it's a it's a tough decade what about the 50s
0: the 50s i think he calls it stride is that right
1: mhm yeah like you're yeah you're starting to hit your stride which is just <laughs> funny cuz we would think oh you hit your stride in your 30s yeah, he goes. No, actually, your fifties.
0: Your fifties are when you have, like, significant skill. When you have substantial wisdom. When you have basically been doing your career thirty years, in I- an ideal world, you will have, uh, uh, parented and launched teenagers, and you'll have a tremendous amount of like insight, perspective, wisdom to offer. And you're still not really tired yet is what Bob Beale said. And he yeah. was 80 something when he was talking about mm-hmm. this, I think. So it, I don't want to sound like I'm a 30 year old saying like, yeah, he, you he, who are 50, you're not that tired. I remember
1: he said, you know, yeah, you have days where you wake up and you feel old <laughs> when you're in your 50s. But for the most part, you're, you're hitting a good stride.
0: Yeah. And then your 60s is sailing. He talked, I just remember him talking about this. Uh, your 60s is when you have the opportunity to uh, actually become substantially wealthy and create generational wealth. Uh, because for a lot of folks, you're like, the mortgage is paid off, and you have the, you could retire, but maybe you shouldn't.
1: Yeah, and by sailing, he doesn't mean like on a boat, like you're retired. But it's actually like, another word he uses is strategic, mm-hmm. that it's this season of like, hey, things are really clicking on all, you know, firing on all cylinders, and you have more money and more network and more opportunity and more like, okay, what am I going to do with this?
0: In a lot of situations, your grandparenting, which mm-hmm. my all reviews uh, is – better than parenting. Uh-huh. <laughs> so at least the grandparents are actually like, oh, this is great. You know, you get to.
1: Well, and and some of the reflection I've had on that, I mean, we'll, we'll see to the degree, degree this is true. But in your 20s and 30s, a lot of life is addition, 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 addition. Once you're getting in that 40s and 50s and beyond, there's a lot of loss, mm-hmm. right? The kids move away. Your friends start to get divorced. There starts to be aging and declining and dying parents and grandparents, right? And And you start, Having all these things that were addition, addition, addition. Now it's subtraction, subtraction, subtraction. I wonder if so much of the delight of being a grandparent is an addition. Yeah. That's Whoa, here's a moment of like, oh, we're adding again. And, uh, you know, I just, I think that must be part of the equation. Yeah.
0: And then 70s, 80s, 90s are not totally significant for the purpose of this conversation. But I think 70s, when he actually says Salem, is that what he
1: says? Uh, 70s, he calls succession. You know, yeah. you're starting to think about okay, who's going to carry on what I've done? 80s, he calls slippery. Your health and your finances begin to waver. You know, um, things get real fragile. And then 90s is, he calls it sleep. You know, I want to go to sleep and not wake up. I don't want to die slowly. You know, a lot of my friends are gone. Um, Really answering these questions of, like, what will happen when I die? You know, that kind of thing.
0: And so... For Bob Beale sharing that with us, I thought it was interesting because he's talking mostly a group of people in their thirties and forties about this. Uh, I think one of his exhortations, especially the pastors, a group of men, was like, "Hey, for your wives, these forties are a lot of decades of suffering, and so you just gotta stink and know that, and not minimize that, and be yep. mindful of that." And then also, there's this weird kind of thi- thing there where there's like a grasping, like an insecurity that marks the first. Three or four decades.
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, the who am I and am I safe? can I make it?
0: Am I safe? Can I make it? Can I be successful?
1: Does this um, matter? Yeah. In the 40s is
0: this question of significance and suffering. But in the 50s, 60s, 70s, he frames basically exclusively positively.
1: Yeah, it, it, that's true. It, you know, 50s and beyond feels mostly things are really settled.
0: Yeah, I, I'm no longer marked by the anxieties or insecurities yeah. that mark young people. Uh, I'm looking to the next generation. i handing things off, uh, subtracting the things that don't matter and adding things that do matter. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, an ability of, there's an at-easiness there. And so there's kind of like this, if my grandpa used to say that youth is wasted on the young. <laughs> sure, I've heard that. And there's this reality that the insecurity of youth and like the grasping anxieties of youth uh, are still overwhelmingly a positive experience because you're young and you have energy and you can run fast, jump high and right. and, and go hard, right? Yep. Like the the like Lamentations three twenty seven says it's like good for the young man to bear the yoke in his youth. Yep. Uh, like you can still work hard, but then right in that forties is that midlife thing where there's difficulty. And uh so going back to Beale, then I read this study recently about unhappy apes. So
1: okay, because I've been wondering where we're going. Because it's like, okay, I get the I get all these decades and uh, are these decade things. The same thing apes feel, or what are we talking about?
0: So the the arc of it is interesting, right? The so here's the article, and we'll put it in the show notes. Evidence for a midlife crisis in great apes. I think by great apes they mean types of apes, not like awesome apes. <laughs> like, like that is one great ape. That's a great ape right there. No, it's like uh, chimpanzees, orangutans. I think those are called the great apes or okay. gorillas maybe. So it's maybe there's like dumb apes or something. I don't <laughs> know. So uh, evidence for life crisis in great apes consistent with U-shape in human well-being. So they go on and talk about how uh, the overall well-being score or happiness score on a scale from like 0 to 100 is like close to 90 something those first uh, 10 years. Um, then once they're 10, it's closer to like 70. Once they're 20, it's closer to like 50 and then really bottoms out in what, and for apes at least, is ages 35 to 40, which apes live about 50 to 60 years old. Okay. So kind of 35 to 40 in apes would be like 45 to 50 in humans-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, I don't know, like, you know, dog years is like. Sure. Well, in ape years, it's like <laughs> .9, you know, so it's yeah. less interesting. Um, but the way that that plays out. but it So the happiness, well-being score starts high. Um, and youthfulness and adolescence goes down then toys and thirties goes down a little more and bottoms out around in that 30 to 40 range. But then right after 40, it starts to go dramatically back up. Hmm. And in sample B of 181 chimpanzees, uh, at ages 50 through 60, it's all the way back up at about what it was at the age five to nine.
1: <laughs> I can't help but wonder, um. How did they measure this? <laughs> like, you know, because a lot of times when they're measuring human happiness, they're asking you, how happy do you feel? Like, I don't think, I mean, maybe the, chimp, the chimps are given two thumbs up or, you know, how, how, do they, how do they measure this? Do you have any idea?
0: Uh, materials and methods. Do
1: you want me to read this? Uh, I don't know. It's- I don't know if you want me to read it.
0: <laughs> well-being was assessed using a four-item questionnaire based on human subjective well-being measures, but modified for the use of non-human primates. Obviously. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Item one These really animal. are great apes. <coughs> you can you can have a great interview with these folks.
0: Among English speaking apes, <laughs> how is their wellness score?
1: Anyway, that whatever. So, I, I trust so, they have so some they, way of figuring that so out. So
0: they had so there's like they did like five hundred apes, right? And they had these raiders, zookeepers, volunteers, researchers, caretakers, based on their knowledge of apes, rate them based on like their attitude, demeanor, disposition, yeah, okay. things like that. So
1: this would be just like someone who owns a dog can go, yeah, my dog seems down or my dog seems really happy or, you know.
0: Yeah, or like talking sure. to a, a one-and-a-half-year-old who has like two words. Sure. Going like, is my kid happy or sad today? And so that.
1: So the ape's, the apes happiness is going in that U shape. So it starts high, goes down, comes back up. And you're saying that that actually is similar to what it is in human beings. Almost the exact same pattern. That if you're going to talk to humans, like, if
0: you ask, like, take our sons, are they happy? It's like, holy smokes, they're extremely happy. My gosh, every minute. Right. Unless, like, my son can't have a drink of water at 2 a.m., then he's very unhappy. <laughs> like, it's like, it's just, just sure you know, uh, there's yet to experience, like, the the weight of the disappointment of life. Mm-hmm. Yet to, like, be hurt or betrayed by a friend. Yet to, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, et cetera.
1: not a lot of self-consciousness. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then... Whereas I talk to like uh, folks our age and um, at least
1: a lot of people. I mind. like that you said our age. Our age, yeah. You know, since. It is funny talking to the interns. It helps me feel young.
0: The, the interns at the church, uh, you know, the way the interns view me, because I am nine years older, ten years older than some of them, uh-huh. but I might as well be 60 years old. Like sure. There's, yeah, you have, totally. You have a kid and a bank account, so like, you're very <laughs> Right. But the, when I talk to folks in their early thirties particular, there's still like that, like that success word, like career mm-hmm. grasping, but people like slightly older than me or a lot of them, like in my current age, there is like this sense of like, oh man, I don't know. Is this really, am I doing what I should be doing? Right. There's reorientation, a mm-hmm. um, sense of regret of what I've missed or what I would like to reinvest my time and energy. And so anyway, that U-shape is consistent with, with humans. And this is not, like, we can blame, like, the pressures of the modern world. that like We can say, well, that's because marketing and postmodernism and blah, blah, blah. Um, but it's actually uh, an issue as old as time, hmm. as old as we have literature available. And in the early church, there was this whole kind of wisdom development process. They expected people to go in. And the the worldview was, like, that if you're under 30, you are by definition foolish. Yep. You are incapable of having substantial wisdom. And so this is before they knew what a prefrontal cortex was. They didn't know like, well, your brain's generally not developed. It was just like observational. Obvious. Yeah, it doesn't
1: mean you're dumb. just means you don't have the wisdom yet. You don't have the understanding. You don't have the... Perspective, experience. Yeah,
0: sure. Right? Like in First Timothy, uh, Paul writes to Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Like he wrote that when Timothy was probably 32 years old. Okay. Right? Like, I remember reading that when I was 14, being like, yeah. <laughs> and sure. now, like, he's like, but it's that example in godliness, humility, and etc., cetera, et cetera, that it's at least, like, calling someone a young person, like that you're in the first century Christian's worldview, you're a young person. And so the young people, basically, 30-ish and down, were expected to read Proverbs all the time because their biggest problem in life was they are foolish. Uh, and then for very old people, people like... Um, aging substantially um, especially like widows, widowers, people who were in that more like 70, 80, 90 range. They had them reading Song of Songs all the time hmm. because the the main problem that they're facing was uh, looking forward. They had to learn to look forward to death as like the marriage supper of them and Christ their their spouse. And so there's like this training the affections to separate from the uh, temporal and really look forward to death as union with Christ, that it was going to be like a wedding night, like there's going to be a celebration, feasting, and mm-hmm. entering heaven's gates will be entirely pleasant. And so I want to look forward to it, not like lament that it's happening or even yeah.
1: grieve it. So it begins with Proverbs, because I got to get wisdom, ends with Song of Solomon, because I want to prepare to meet the Lord. What's in that middle?
0: Right in the midlife, the, the normal thing. So it's interesting, like how the, the books of wisdom we have. Uh, kind of do different things, but the midlife was all about the book Ecclesiastes, mm. which talks about like this: "Vanity, a uh, vanity," says the preacher. That's ESV. Um, NIV says "meaningless, meaningless." Everything's meaningless. It's a vapor. Yeah. the The word is ha-avel, uh mist, mm. vapor, mm. and the word even comes from. Uh, so in Genesis one, you have Cain and Abel, and Abel is not around very right long. Mm. He gets killed fast. So it's like Ha'avell. Like the root of that could be like as Abel. Kind of like life's like Abel. Wow, yeah. He gets a sentence or two, and then the story moves on. Yep. And our lives are like Abel's life. Footnotes. Uh, We blink of an eye, right? There's this book by uh, Chaim Potok called The Chosen. He talks about how the life is like a blink of an eye. The blink is insignificant, but the eye can be significant. And so, the, the the weight of character of a person can be significant, but ultimately, the life itself is relatively insignificant on the scope of eternity. And so, I think that's like where the significance question comes from, is you're reading about life is vapor, you start to experience vapor. Uh, there's even just like a psychological phenomenon on this, like if I told you, it's like when Jay went from ages one to age two, that was 50% of his life. Yeah. From ages zero to one was 100% of his life. From... Uh, 50 to 51 is two percent of your life. So each year becomes a smaller percentage of your life lived, and so even psychologically, the years literally go faster. Yeah. And they, like, the time slips, and it's like there's an acceleration, mm-hmm. uh, like an hourglass that's thick at the top, but then it gets thin in the middle. Like the last inch or so of sand seems to go faster and faster because of like the, the uh, V shape of the cylinder and so there's a psychological reality that time starts to feel like vapor it goes fast it just kind of drives its way uh and so the question like what Ecclesiastes does and here's like the the heart and thrust of Ecclesiastes he's like okay so life's a vapor so I guess we should just try to get really wise Is actually wisdom's vein because wise people and foolish people die the same way oh okay so maybe I should be wise and he goes okay well maybe I should just like be a pleasure seeker this is like epicureanism uh, I should just maximize pleasure in a short time. Actually, you know, uh, and I said of laughter, it's mad, and it's pleasure. Uh, what use is it? Search my heart for how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guiding me with wisdom, and I hold it. it's just folly. Like, even the attempt to self-indulge my way into happiness, short-lived, didn't work. And he's like, okay, well, maybe I'll just work really hard. I'll just be a good employee. And he calls it the vanity of toil. I hated all my toil, which I told him to son. Uh, seeing that I'm just going to leave it to the man who'll come after me. <laughs> Meaning, <laughs> sure. no matter how hard I work, I'm going to have to hand it off, and some other dude's going to keep working just that hard. And so there's really no such thing as a finished job.
1: Yeah, he uh, just starts thing after thing after thing after thing after thing. And the conclusion is, yep, <laughs> it all feels like vapor.
0: Yeah, it's vapor. And there's a there's a lot of wisdom in the book. And so I I think that one of the things we can learn from the early Church is I think people around the age of 30, especially through their 40s, should read Ecclesiastes like crazy, because he says. So he's. Th- here's the deal: is saying it is like vapor. Uh, this is why I think the NIV's translation of it is uh, not great. Because, meaningless. Yeah, meaningless. Because it's not meaningless. It's just meaningless in the way that the world conceives of meaning. Hmm. Like you're not going to find your m- meaning in it. Yeah. That doesn't mean that it's valueless or it's pointless or it's waste. Like, if I said that um, pastoring a church is meaningless, I think people would be like, "Uh, well, then quit if you think that. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. But in
1: in a sense, you know, yeah, it it all depends how you're thinking about meaning.
0: Yeah, if I'm trying to, like, build a career and make tons of money and be perceived as important, and if I'm trying to, like, climb the slippery success ladder, uh, then this is going to be meaningless because it's going to leave me feeling empty, used, uh, disappointed, frustrated. But if I'm trying to do what the Lord has given me to do, if I'm trying to, so all this like the peeling away of all the places that we try to find and search for our meaning is I think the pain of the midlife crisis Yeah, is the, uh, I try to find it in my looks. Well, time always wins. I try to find it in my money. Well, no pile is big enough to satisfy. Well, I try to find it in sex. Well, um, that might last for a little while, but then you realize that the emptiness comes from that because it's actually not. You actually want intimacy, not just um, pleasure-seeking moments. So I'm going to find it in my legacy and passing things off. Well, guess what? You're going to die and not see it happen. I'm going to find it, and so by the time you get to 40, in your 40s, I'm, and again, I'm, I say using my 40s, I really mean like 35 to 55, that midlife window, you start to experience a disappointment of the failed promises, like that the world has overpromised and overdelivered. On all these various things. Yeah. On career, on sex,
1: on money, on power. on. And so if I'm connecting some of the dots of this conversation, what I'm thinking then is to go, we get into these moments. They feel really unsettling. They feel, really, they feel like a crisis, right? You'd say it's not a crisis. It's just a process. But it, experientially, it feels like a crisis. Like, man, what am I doing? What am I living for? Is this going to get better? Is this suffering going to end? It, right? It feels cataclysmic. And I, f- I feel like what I'm hearing you say is, but it's normal. <laughs> I'm saying. It's part of the normal thing. It's not wildly different from what apes feel. And there's been lots of ancient wisdom directed toward helping you navigate this feeling to help you say it's not crazy and it's not weird. And, um, and so if I were to circle back on the mental health part of the conversation, that, am I getting that that was maybe like an analogy of like in the same way that people will take these ordinary things and pathologize them, will take an ordinary season of life and imagine it to be far worse than it is when it's just the normal thing. Am I yeah. getting that right?
0: Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for connecting my sporadic thoughts and making them tell a story. But yeah, they're just like when you're going through puberty, you're thinking something's wrong with my body, what's happening? And unless there's like a loving, trusted adult who's like, there's nothing wrong with you. This is part of the way God designed your body is that it grows and change and it is uncomfortable, it is unpleasant, you can't feel awkward, but this is normal and healthy and good. I'm saying that wise old men and women, especially the old man who wrote Ecclesiastes, is looking at us in our 35 to 55 midlife crisis and saying, there's nothing wrong with you. This is part of the process. You are uh, loosening your grip on the idols of this world. You are Uh, being forced to reckon with what really matters Mm. and you are having to let go of the things you've been holding on to that don't really matter and uh, embrace the process, that's okay. Mm. And so the exhortation that Ecclesiastes 12 gives us is this is the end of the matter, all has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments for God will bring every deed to judgment, every secret thing, both good and evil. And the word "evil" is used a ton in the Book of Ecclesiastes, um, and it's we we hear that word means moral evil to us, um, which I don't think is the the best of terms, right? So, like in Ecclesiastes twelve, it says this: "Remember the creator in days of your youth, before the evil days come." Mm. And we can say, "Oh, the bad people are coming," right? Um, I don't think that's what we're getting at. So, the word "ra," um, here's like what the Hebrew Aramaic lexicon of the Old Testament says is. Uh, the basic meaning of ra is that which is painful or harmful. Hmm. So not necessarily that. W- so that can be a moral thing, like I poke in the eye. That was a moral evil, yep. and it was physically painful. It Can also be like a, like a, a natural evil, like a hurricane. Like not like somebody did something wrong, and therefore we have a hurricane. But it also can just be like, getting old hurts. Right. Uh, it can be. My eyes, my vision is dwindling. It can be my hearing is going. It can be um, my friends have passed away and there's this loneliness. It can be I have $5 million in the bank account and I'm still depressed. And mm-hmm. What's wrong with me? And mm-hmm. so so that, so, uh, so that was harmful. So remember the crater in the days of your youth before the painful days come is how I would translate that. Mm-hmm. And the years draw near in which you'll say, I have no pleasure in these days. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are dark and the clouds return after rain. Basically going like, right now, start remembering that you're a creature Mm. under the lordship of the creator right now. Because the pleasureless or the less pleasureful days are coming. And the sooner you can do that. And so,
1: Well, that reminds me a lot of the conversations I had with my counselor, Jim, um, about five years ago, as I was beginning to existentially feel some of these midlife dynamics. You know, I started getting real obsessed with age. I always wanted to know how old everybody was. And, and uh, how old, you know, I I created this chart of how old everyone in my family will be at each year, you know, to try to go, okay, when when Abby's 37, how old, you know, uh, how old will I be? How old will Mary be? How old will, like, just super weird. You know, and we were processing all this stuff. And he, he basically, his summary was a little simpler than Bob Beals. He said, you know, your 30s, your, or, sorry, your 20s and 30s. Are really about competence you're yeah. trying to figure out what am i good at and how do i start putting in my ten thousand hours so to speak and by the time you start to hit midlife hopefully you've had some competence you've had some success you've had some okay here's where it is here's my slot here's where i fit he said if you get to your 40s and 50s and you haven't had that it's actually really difficult right and some people have experienced that where you know they feel a few decades behind in that way but if you've had the competence Then when you hit midlife, what you really want is connection. And that's what your heart's longing for. That's what you start looking for in sinful ways or in healthy ways. You know, he said most of the books on prayer are written by people in their 40s and 50s because it's really at that stage you start to go, I just need to connect with God. I want closeness with him. It's like, you know, for me, it, it was like early on in our marriage and in my ministry, Molly was supporting me, but behind the scenes. Well, Now I like want her with me. Like I want to process things with her. I want to talk through things. I want to experience things together. And he said, you know, that's part of that connection. So when I hear that, you know, hey, all this is vapor, all this. But here's the thing. Fear God. Connect to him. Stay connected to him. Develop intimacy and closeness and relationship with him. And if you do that and you invest in these other key relationships, then you'll, you'll be able to weather that season of striving and stress and all that stuff.
0: Yeah, there's this reality that if you hit that season of needing connection or to use uh, your counselor's term or Bob Biel's term, significance or suffering and if you go, you know what I need is I need a new wife and a new job and a new house and a new truck and five or six beers every night. Yep, It's going to perpetuate the cycle. It's kind of like kicking the can down the road. Yeah, you're, sure. you're just punting on the psychological process you have to go through. Uh, the the gift of aging is that sobriety of considering what really matters and what's really significant. And a lot of times when people talk about someone being an old soul, what they're talking about is that person has prematurely grasped the significance thing, mm-hmm. or at least they're projecting that they've prematurely <laughs> grasped it. Sure, right? They're talking like someone who is forty, even though probably psychologically like someone who's like twenty or something like that. Yeah. And I think even so, here's a question I have is why do the apes start getting happier
1: <laughs> well man i I wasn't gonna bring it back up because I feel like it just sends you down this whole rabbit hole but I just in general go i don't I never know how to how to <laughs> interpret ape yeah. data that's the to part go of- like because I know in a like national or naturalistic evolutionary biology place like well that has all your answers because we're basically just apes I want to go well, so much of everything we've talked about on this podcast is saying That's we're far more than apes. Yeah. Um, well, so but I was wondering if you were like, man, what wh- Well, I would go like, why does it get worse and why does it get better? Yeah. Like it seems to me like an apes an ape, I don't know. It seems like it'd be fine all the time, but yeah. Well, I don't know. Well, do, do you know the answer? Of course I think I know the answer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't. We wouldn't have a podcast if you yeah. didn't think you knew the answer. Yeah. Does the study was, no, give an not. answer, or this is just this the is study, your hypothesis? The study
0: does not give an answer. They just go okay. like, "Wow, that's all the study says." So, um, so here's what. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. Here comes my totally speculative, great, overly spiritualized guess. So G.K. Chesterton talks about how the naturalists want to call the Earth our mother, but Christians call the Earth our sister. Hmm right that god makes creation and there's congruity with all of creation right that there's a similarity genetically between humans and the rest of that which is designed like it's dust like we're all dust like we like the life cycle of uh, growth maturation reproduction death that like the that like god's you know you can look at a picasso painting and you can look at a different picasso painting and you can see the, the artist's brushstrokes mm. and okay. see similarities there. So I don't think you have to be... So an, we shouldn't
1: freak out that there's some similarities between us and apes or whatever.
0: Well, oh, when they say, like, we're 98% genetically significant, I'm like, okay, so a creative person, God, has themes in his creativity? Like, yeah. that's should be, like, a no-brainer test. Okay. Like, so I'm not saying you have to be an evolutionist to go, learn from ape things, just to be
1: careful. So, I was beginning to wonder if I needed to delete all the past episodes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. So why do apes experience this fluctuation of happiness?
0: Well, I think there's. Seth. <laughs> so uh, we, ha- we have this term we talk about here called the J curve, right? Mm-hmm. That uh, the path of Christ has to do with going down to death and growing up into resurrection. And the apostle Paul talks about unless the seed goes in the ground and dies and it's risen, that there's like this death and resurrection trajectory. The J curve. Talks about that. Actually, um, Jay Stringer, who are having out through the Sexual Wholeness con- Conference, October 22nd, uh, he talks about a similar phenomenon when it comes to like dealing with sin, but he calls it the U-curve, which this study calls it the U-curve. Of well, happiness. you
1: figure a J just cuts off the first 25% of the U.
0: Yes, so absolutely. it's fine. Yeah, you just start higher on the U and you start yeah. lower on the J. But it's the same kind of arc mm-hmm. that I think part of God's design in like the, the vaporous nature of things is that 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 would follow that arc that there would be a, a descent to participation in the death and and then the Lord provides resurrection. I think that gratitude is a big part of why the apes get happier. Like there is like appreciation. Uh, they're able to appreciate and, and see like vicarious joy. Like when you're, when you're three years old, you don't really experience happiness because someone else is happy. Right. Um, but I right now already can experience happiness because my son is happy in a way that he cannot comprehend sure. this thing. And talking to grandparents too, there is like this multi layered mm-hmm. happiness exponential thing going on which like your child and your child's child and the happiness thing there. And when you look and one of the things I talk about is the way these apes see the young apes playing, right? And they like they're entertained by it. Mm. Like there's I can't run around and jump like that there's also like older apes tend to not try to do the alpha male thing as much okay they kind of like have found their lane and are content with it yeah there's not like the main silverback has already like proved himself he's not reproving himself the ones who are not the alpha are not still trying to be the alpha there's there's like a contentedness like i figured out my allotment and i'm gonna live in my lane uh thing and obviously, these apes are not that software in that process, but, <laughs> but I, I think it's the, the angst of adolescence yeah. of where am I going to land? Who am I going to be? Where am I like? There's there's something similar to that in mm-hmm. like the social hierarchy in apes, and like the uh, the generational enjoyment mm-hmm. factor is similar in apes. And I think that when uh, you have friends your age who die, the preciousness of days and weeks. Uh, You learn that in a way you can't learn otherwise, Mm. and there's a an appreciation Mm. for the agedness, interesting, and even like an acknowledgement of I couldn't have not made it, right? And that capacity for like self reflection, or even going like I could be dead, uh, is something that I mean they're not self reflecting, but apes could apes understand the I could be dead, but I'm not. They're able to do that, and. And there's like a
1: slowing downness of okay. things, and, so and thus ends Seth's speculation on the happiness of apes. Yeah, so so I think. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, man. I just can't help but tease you a little bit on this.
0: Uh, I, I deserve it. To be, to be clear, I deserve it. I am uh, way overreading this stuff, but I just think there's trees, apes, humans. There's something to like
1: the arc of yeah life, death, resurrection, well, and and legacy. Some of what pops in my head as you're talking is how Hebrews describes eternity, the new heavens and new earth as rest. Yeah. And how if life is this vaporous striving after the wind that it makes sense that eternity with God and the new heavens and new earth would feel like <sighs> rest. And uh man, that gives me something to look forward to.
0: Yeah. And so I think the invitation to Ecclesiastes is stop chasing that wind and play the cards you're dealt and be content with them. Yeah. I think that's the message of that. So Anyway, if you're 35, 55, start reading Ecclesiastes. That's the end of the podcast.
1: <laughs> all right, man. Well, this was fun. Quite a quite a wild ride you took us on today. I liked ride. it. And uh, yeah, we'll link to some of that stuff in the show notes. And um, yeah, everybody, thanks for listening. Seth, thanks for your work. And uh, we'll see you all next time. Absolutely. Bye. <laughs>